Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. The home of all things horror, haunted, and Halloween-y. Happy New Year, Chatters. My name is Mr. Craigers. I'm one of the hosts of Splatter Chatter. And I'm Miss Melmoy, the other host of Splatter Chatter. She sure is. And this is episode 106, our first episode of 2023. And tonight we are shooting off into space for an intergalactic adventure amongst the stars with (laughs) Jason Voorhees as we talk about 2001's Jason X. Jason X. Jason X. That's right, Chatterers. In honor of um, Friday the 13th this month, it is our 10th Friday the 13th special here at Splatter Chatter. Now, what does that mean if you're just tuning in? Well, Way, 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 way back in the super before times, uh, when a Friday the 13th rolled around on the calendar, Miss Mel and I covered a new entry in the Friday the 13th series. We have been doing that, I think, since the first year of the podcast. Since the inception. (laughs) Yeah, the first or like second year of the podcast. And about uh, six years later, here we are for part 10, the one that Miss Mel herself has said she was most looking forward to when we first began this um, special series of episodes. How excited are you, Miss Mel? Pretty jazzed. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's just, it was funny to think about, though, like how when we first started doing this and you were talking about like, oh, yeah, in the year 20, whatever, obviously 2023 is when we will get to Jason X and, you know, along the way, just doing, doing the, doing the movies as they pop up, playing, playing the cards as they get dealt. And now and here we are. And here we are. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting discussion, I think. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to do, um, something special that we've been doing the last couple years for the first episode of every year. And that's something we call our pitch session, which is a quick recap of our favorite films from the year that just concluded. And then a little back and forth where Miss Mel and I basically pitch some of our favorite movies to the other that that other host didn't get a chance to see. Basically like a, hey, here's why you should make this an early watch in 2023. Um, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, we tweeted out our top 10 for the year. Um, do we want to just quickly remind everybody what those were? Sure. Okay. Uh, so my top 10 for the year, um, starting with number one, then going down was Nope, Scream, Speak No Evil, X, Pearl, Barbarian, the Black Phone, Prey, The Menu, and I forgot Men. about The Black Phone. What the fuck's wrong with me? <laughs> this was, I was texting you during this whole thing. I was like, I would do my list and I'd be like, great, it's set. And then I'd forget yeah. one that I watched. No. This is why you're not, on, you're not on Letterboxd, huh? No. You need to be on Letterboxd. Like, they do that like all for you. It's really easy. Yeah. All right. Well, just know that I don't, I didn't hate the black. <laughs> I just okay, forgot well, that I had seen it. We we'll all know that. Like there were a couple that I actively was like, no, I'm not putting this on here. It's like Texas Chainsaw, for example. Yeah. But um, no, that was one I forgot. 
that I watched. That you would maybe put in your top 10. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a good one. Yeah. But what was your top 10 as submitted? As is. So yeah. my top 10 as is, um, in ascending order, is mm. uh, Nope. We are in agreement on that one. Yeah. Uh, Speak No Evil. Prey. Hellbender. Glorious. Barbarian. Moloch. Screen. Men. And Orphan First Kill. <laughs> nice, nice. So yeah. we... Let's see, so how much did we overlap? We had nope, speak nope, speak evil, no evil, scream, men, barbarian, men. So six, I think. Yeah, I think that might be a record high for us. I think it is a record high. It's also the first year, I do believe, where we had the same number one. Our favorite horror movie mm-hmm. of 2022 was the same film, and that was Nope. Um, so I feel like maybe we should just take like a second or two just to kind of acknowledge the brilliance of nope yes which uh, i think we both it was interesting because i feel like we both sort of highlighted two slightly different parts of it in our little blurbs yeah which, is, which just speaks to the diverse diverse diversity, diversity of the film yeah i mean diversity of the, the strengths of the film there we go there's so much going on with it and then sort of like off platform you and i were talking a little bit about it um and I kind of brought up the question of like, is this Jordan Peele's best film so mm-hmm. far? And I think we were kind of in agreement that, yeah, we think it is. Um, yeah, I definitely think it is. Um, and what's interesting is when I was leaving the theater, you know, because I think Jordan Peele is one of those people who, <clears throat> because of the nature of the films he makes, um, certain groups of people are going to look at his films and expect to see certain things in them or expect certain themes to pop up. And, you know, as I, after, you know, I saw, I was leaving, there was a group of like college boys, like, you know, from like Penn or whatever. And they were like, you know, like a couple of like, you know, they were white college boys who were talking about how they liked get out better and and stuff. And it got me thinking that I feel like there's some expectation with, particularly I, I would say with like, white people to feel that his movies are talking at them or you know what i mean like you know get out was you know it featured you know a certain type of prominent villain and i just you know i feel like there are certain people out there who will look at his films and say well if this isn't about you know white people in that way if it's if it's not casting them center stage as villains or some sort of integral part of the plot then i don't think it's you know, as elevated or as good. And I just think Nope was just one of those movies where it's just like, it's a guy making a movie about something he wants to make it about starring actors who are really, really good. And, you know, it obviously showcases and purposely showcases Black creatives, but like, you know, it just, it's something I thought about with it a lot and how like, you know, you can like his different movies for different things and different social things they're saying. Um, But this one to me was just sort of like, a ton of fun and and was saying so much and so many different things about so many different topics in such an effortless way that you know it was just it was it was fantastic i think effortless is one of the key words there like there's something about this movie that just feels so fluid and um cohesive in a way that 
I don't know, maybe even like us and get out don't even quite feel that way. Like this, this feels like, and I'm obviously this isn't how the real creative process works. And I'm sure it was like, not this way for Jordan Peele, but it feels like he just sort of like word vomited almost or like camera vomited and this like perfect movie came out because it's so sort of tight and right. um like and I feel like it's a good um you know like case study for when what people think they're talking about when they talk about elevated horror right like mm. people talk about elevated horror art house horror and they think of something like get out or something like you know hereditary or other things that are clearly making statements like in big bold letters which is not a bad thing you know they're very good but like this is something that's just like you know it was elevated by like sheer like technique and like writing that was just so tight and and directing that was so well done and it was just like you know like like we said effortless yeah and because that is sure it wasn't effortless but right And because that is the message here. That's what it's looking at this time. It's deconstructing this idea of like creation and spectacle like and the whole idea of the movies, right? Um, and I don't, I don't know that people were necessarily expecting that because it's not quite as sort of like, it's not quite the sort of social Commentary. commentary that like get out and us are making mm-hmm. um or like i think it's it's just it's different it's like it's still clearly a jordan peele film but mm-hmm. it's right and there's a thesis in it but it's a different thesis about different and it's obviously all interrelated themes and and that sort of yeah. thing in his work like any you know, if you ascribe to Artur theory, like any Artur, any any creative is going to have recurring themes in their work. Um, but I, I like that he finds new ways to explore his and new topics through which he explores his. Um, and it continues to be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, like, you know, I was just thinking back on it and I was like, yeah, I don't think I really have like any like notes or complaints or yeah. like anything with it um i thought the the way he did the full uh i i i forget what anime it was based on but the anime style of the 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 alien was based on a specific anime that had like i think it was angel Evan- evangelon i can't remember what it is i'm not up on my anime but i remember reading about it because i was like what, what the hell is this um but it it it's interesting to see him pull influences from so many different types of media as well yeah, yeah he's a, he's very like culturally well versed um i feel like which which i remember people were talking about at the beginning of us with that shot of all the the different like people were talking about the easter eggs you can see just oh, in the beginning yeah, of yeah. us like in the opening shot and it's just like all this stuff from the 80s that the inclusion of each one is making a different point or statement and yeah he's very culturally literate he is um yeah it was, it was a brilliant movie it really was and it was entertaining and it was funny and it was scary uh everything we've come to expect from him yeah so 
Yeah, I don't think it's like particularly surprising. Obviously, it was high on a lot of people's lists, but it's cool. I've that seen it on the uh, the New York Times put it as it thinks it uh, their wish list for nominees for Best Picture. Nope, was on there. I mean, we we know how how much of a an uphill battle it is for horror. I to- know, <laughs> and especially yeah. something like this, right? That is an understated like. You know, again, like it's not making the big, bold, bright billboard statement that a lot of other films are um, and a lot of other filmmakers would would be making. Um, and he's even made in the past with his other films. So um, I think the Oscars tends to like lean more towards genre films that are like making a like I am here making a statement about something. Right. <laughs> if it's a statement that they agree with. Right. Yeah. So, but that could be Nope's in because you know there is a lot in the film that is about right. They love that Hollywood and filmmaking mm-hmm. and um, sort of the history of like creativity in specifically in the movie industry. So, you know, they the Academy likes movies about themselves essentially. So, who knows? Um, we'll find out soon. We will find out soon. Nominations are a coming. So, all right. So, yeah. So, we both shared Nope. Uh, We shared a couple other films in different places on our list. Um, Obviously, Scream, Speak No Evil. Those were big ones for us this year. Let's let's do our pitch session, though. Was there one that you were thinking about starting with? So, I have one in mind. It just depends on if you've seen it and it didn't make your list. Okay. If the opposite's true. Um, did you see Glorious? I didn't. Okay, you should watch Glorious. Tell me why. (laughs) That is my pitch. I'm actually even waiting for it to come out on, it comes out on Blu-ray, I think, in, like, March. Are you going to snatch it? Of course. Yeah, it was really good. So, um, directed by Rebecca McKendry, who I don't really know from anything else. I was going to say, I don't recognize the name. Um... But, and it was a screenplay by Joshua Hull and David Ian McKendry, who I'm guessing is somehow related to Rebecca McKendry. Oh, she um, had a short, so she's previously done um, shorts and Tales of Halloween and All the Creatures Were Stirring. Oh, okay. So. (laughs) Covered All the Creatures Were Stirring in a Booze and Booze. Yes. So um, this, I think this was like, if not her first, one of her first um, feature. Gotcha length films but um and um it stars uh ryan quanton and jk simmons's voice okay <laughs> um the premise of it is this like guy yes so this guy named wes is like we start to learn like what his backstory is and what's going on throughout the film so i'll just give you the setup is he's driving with some sort of like it seems to be like a makeup item, like it's a teddy bear that kind of says I'm sorry or something like that. And he stops at a like kind of like dingy rest stop on the side of the road while he's driving to go to the bathroom. And the rest of the movie is going to take place inside the bathroom. So he goes into the bathroom and goes to pee and hears a voice from somebody in the next stall over. And, you know, he he's like, I don't know, like, who's, are you on drugs? Like, I don't know who this guy is. It's J.K. Simmons. 
who is voicing um, Gnata Atothoa, a primordial demigod created by its uh, a primordial demigod created by its godly father to destroy the universe. Right. And he says to Wes that he is the only one who can stop him from destroying the universe, and that's why he's here, and he will not let him out of the, the rest stop, out of the bathroom, until he completes his task. And he's speaking to him through a glory hole in, in the stall, which is part of where the name comes from. And the next two hours are him and J.K. Simmons's voice, voicing this, like, ungodly Lovecraftian creature in the next stall, talking this out and debating it. And, and about what he needs to do because it's going to require a sacrifice on his part. And you start to learn his backstory and how he ended up here and, mm. and that sort of thing. And it was really fun and delightful and good and very, very inventive. It, yeah, that sounds unique and fun. And I'm such a sucker for anything that's basically like a one location movie, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, there's a couple other people who show up occasionally who come into the bathroom who are like, are you, you know, are you good, man? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, but it's it's a lot of fun, very inventive, good pace. And it's, you know, like a, a horror comedy in the vein of, like, Scare Me, except, you know, weird Lynchian, Lovecraftian sure. storyline instead of that. <laughs> right sounds good sounds fun um uh, i was gonna say it's just it's shutter right yeah yep it came out um over the summer on shutter and yeah. as i mentioned it will be on blu-ray i think in march so i remember seeing it you know and um, there was there was a lot of horror i didn't get to this year because like we so there was a lot of horror i didn't year. even i wanted to see really a menu which might be your pitch to me it is my pitch to you. That's good because now it's on HBO Max, which means I can watch it in the comfort of my own living room. Uh-huh. And so you should because it is an uncomfortable little movie, um, but in the best way. <laughs> As a lover of Top Chef, I feel like it's something I would, that would just. So yeah, if you're a Top Chef person, if you're a Hell's Kitchen person, this is the horror movie for you. Um, if you checked out The Bear from this past year as well, mm -hmm. um, there's that's a that's a fun sort of companion piece i would say um so yeah the menu is um you know it doesn't take itself too too seriously um cuz it the ultimate premise of what's going on is a little out there mm -hmm. uh, but it still has some really like tense awkward moments um it gets into a slightly predictable sort of track, but it's not really about like what's going to happen at the end. It's more about mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen, but how are we going to get there? Gotcha. Um, and there's some, there's some social commentary going on there. Um, basically, as I'm sure you know, and most people know, the premise is there is this ultra exclusive restaurant run mm -hmm. very high-end chef played by ray fines mm -hmm. um, on a private island and a very select number of guests are invited to attend it uh one night there's a you know a food critic and her companion a very wealthy couple these mm -hmm. like young stockbroker you know guys. what's 
funny now that you're talking about this cast. I remember seeing a commercial for it and being like, this is Glass Onion. Because <laughs> all the random people who were in it, and then I was like, oh no, this is something else I've never heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of before, yeah. But it's very similar to Glass Onion in that sense, right? Mm. And then sort of our focal characters are this like newly dating couple played by Nicholas Holt and our favorite person ever, Anya mm-hmm. Taylor-Joy. Um, and they're all like super pretentious. They're all like foodie Instagram people to the max, like just the most insufferable people um, have been assembled for this very exclusive offering of a series of courses that are strange and become increasingly elaborate as the evening goes on. But then they also become increasingly sinister as the evening is going on. And the dynamic between the chef, the head chef and his sous chef and the rest of the cooks becomes increasingly strange. And then you're like, what the hell is actually going on here? Um, It's hilarious. The performances are amazing. Um, There's a lot of good, like, eat the rich Mm -hmm. stuff going on. Um, I won't go into whether it's metaphorical or literal. Um, and it's just, it's just a really good, like, I was surprised at how much I also laughed during the movie while also being like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Um, it was a wild ride and it has the greatest food preparation sequence I have ever seen in a movie ever. And for that sequence alone, I think Ray Fiennes should be nominated for an Oscar this year. It was Mm -hmm. so incredible. Okay. So the menu. It's on HBO Max, like you said. Mm -hmm. Check it out. (laughs) I will. That's exciting. Yeah. It is it is so funny because I, you know, thinking about it, you know, like knowing what I know from the the previews and stuff and how much Top Chef I watch and how like fucking <laughs> snooty they get sometimes with are like it just didn't excite me. You know, and it's it's well it's a taco Helen. Like I don't so yeah. <laughs> um but and obviously like you know A plus cast. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's a great great cast. Great cast. All right. Um should we move into our main discussion then? Yes, I think, I think we should, unless there's, there's anything. I don't think there's much since we, uh, neither of us have seen Megan, so that would be the big, neither of us that would be Megan. the big headline. By, by all accounts, Horror 2023 is starting off strong, baby. Um, Megan, people seem to be loving it. Um, we're recording at the end of opening weekend, so... Yeah. maybe things will go south but as of right now um, it seems like it's it's it's, it's going strong and yeah. there is a what well, i don't even know if it's horror or thriller but have you seen missing person the like the like previews for that it looks yeah yeah it's it seems like it's in the vein of like that other searching that one with yeah um that was like a very similar premise but um but it's using yeah. like found footage type um yeah tactics which i found interesting yeah it's gonna be a good year i think there's a lot of good stuff 
Um, Skinamarink is coming out soon. That's supposed to be really creepy. Uh, I've heard really good things about Sick. Um, Brandon Cronenberg's new movie is coming out this year. Uh, obviously, Scream 6, Knock at the Cabin, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie. There's a lot already lined up um, for 2023. So get excited, kids. Nice. Um, but that's 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 ahead of us yet. That's in the future. But right now, we're going to go back to 2001 to go to the future of 2455 <laughs> to talk about um, the incomparable, the one and only Jason X. But first, let's take a listen to the trailer. In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. They're on their way back. Prepare for docking and power of the lab. You brought them on board? Everything's under control, man. He's an unstoppable killing machine. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What? Are you high? Uh oh. <gasps> He's here. You have got to get them out of there. They slap it. I think we're finally okay. That you've got to be kidding me! Oh wow! He's been modified. Oh, you think? You guys might want to run. All right, so the great Jason X. <laughs> when did you first see this movie and what did you think? So this is one I've mentioned many times before, I think. Like all my memories of throwing on AMC's Fear Fest when I would get home from school you know, like around September and October, like are just dotted with pieces of this movie, like out of context. Um, and that's like, you know, the first time ever sitting down and watching it was definitely on there, which, you know, was a little goofy because it's edited for TV and you've got commercial breaks and stuff. Um, but it was, you know, at some point in high school, just very visceral memories of checking the AMC Fear Fest stuff, getting home and seeing like, oh, well, Jason X is going to be on at five. So, and then again at 2 a.m. And then right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I think like, it just like, I had not seen that 
deep into Friday the 13th at that point for whatever reason or had not seen that deep like in any particular like order that made sense not that anything about this would be able to be placed which we'll talk about (laughs) that makes sense which they obviously have since rectified but um I just I just have such a memory of seeing Jason in the his uber Jason mask fighting at the end when they're both in the like um bay or whatever at the very end and just like thinking to myself like yeah okay like you know they've got some wild like sequels to you know slashers like whatever this is (laughs) this is it's Jason the spacesuit, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> and they just sort of accepted it. Awesome. Oh man. Um, what about you? Um, it was definitely a fear fest situation. Um mm-hmm. I yeah, I think at first, like you were saying, like it was definitely sort of like exposure to this film was very piecemeal. Mm-hmm. I do have a relatively clear memory of um it was like a Saturday in October. And I remember it was like kind of nice out because I, I just remember the windows being open um mm-hmm. like in, in in the house and I was laying on the couch. I finished watching um Children of the Corn two i believe and then for whatever reason jason X- <laughs> this was next yeah and so i was just, i was laying on the couch i was really comfortable there was like the slight breeze you know the halloween decorations were up and i was just like i'm not moving so i'm gonna watch jason x and yeah. that's the first time i watched it like start to finish um and i just remember being like what the fuck <laughs> 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 there was something about watching it all together which really made me realize how ridiculous it was whereas like beforehand when I would only catch scenes or sequences I would be like yeah whatever Like, and the thing is is like even from the jump with the like Crystal Lake research facility or whatever mm-hmm. at that point I'm like okay I need like a prequel <laughs> to understand what that's about but also like it almost feels like somebody wrote like you know, I don't know, you're not super familiar with the fan fiction world, but there's this thing in fan fiction called an AU, which stands for an alternate universe, where you basically like say like, oh, I'm going to cast the Harry Potter characters as like regular high school students or like people do it a lot with like, um, you know, if you have a, a, a ship you like in a TV show, it's like, oh, I'm doing whatever ship as like, um, or or from like 10 things i hate about you like gonna do that but Uh with these two characters that you know that sort of thing the crystal lake um research facility feels like an alternate universe fan fiction where jason and and everyone and and friday the 13th takes place in like a sci-fi universe and instead of camp crystal lake it's the crystal lake research facility He's killing all the 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 laboratory people. I mean, truly, when you think about like this movie and the original, or like part two with like Ginny and everyone, it is bonkers to think they take place in the same universe and that they are part of the same series. Um, because things have gotten so far off track. <laughs> and to remind everybody and to provide some context, we're going to recap the story so far 
for the Friday the 13th um, series. Uh, Would you like to start or do you want me to start? Um, I'll kick us off. Okay. (laughs) So um, going way back, turning back time a couple of years, um, in the original 1980 film, uh, we we watch uh, a killing spree go off at um, Camp Crystal Lake um, as different counselors who are preparing to reopen the camp um, are getting picked off one by one. You know, we know that there's a history of um, a camper dying at the, the camp and, you know, people say things are, you know, haunted. There's local legends, yada, yada. It turns out Pamela Voorhees, played by Betsy Palmer, um, has been going around murdering campers as vengeance for the death of her son, who um, drowned in the camp while campers were like, or not camp, not campers, while counselors were off uh, canoodling and, and having sex and, and doing drugs and that sort of thing. Um, naughty. <laughs> being naughty. You're bringing in and, last episode, naughty. Naughty, yes. <laughs> um, my God. Um, <laughs> uh, and our final girl, Alice Harding, played by Adrian King, uh, is ultimately able to fend off Mrs. Voorhees and decapitate her with a machete before um, she has a, she seems to be attacked by the corpse of a young boy in the water, which turns out to be a dream. The boy. Jason. Jason. Um, in part two, released one year later, Jason, now a grown man somehow, and played by uh, Steve Daskowitz. Daskowitz? I think yes. so. Yeah. Sure. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's hanging out in the woods by Camp Crystal Lake. He's got a little shack. He's got a little shrine to his mother. He's wearing, he's wearing a bag over his head. Um and he finds Alice and kills her to avenge his mother pretty pretty early in the film. Um, and uh, he decides that he is going to defend the camp from future intruders, interlopers, that sort of thing, uh, over the next couple of years. And we decide we're going to give this camp another go <laughs> and try and open it again, even though there's no indication that it opened the first time that we tried <laughs> to reopen it again. <laughs> I didn't, but I don't think it did. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So there's a whole new set of camp counselors here early to, um, you know, open the camp, you know, try and get this thing going again. Um, Jason slaughters them all, except for Ginny Field, played by Amy Steele, um, who finds his cabin in the woods um, with the shrine, which contains the severed head of Mrs. Voorhees um, and uses it to sort of trick him and fights back and is ultimately able to wound him and leave him seemingly for dead, but not quite. Mm. In part three, which came out in 1982, we are jumping to the very next day when Jason, played by Richard Broker, um, now played by Richard Broker, removes the machete from his shoulder. Obviously, it was but a flesh wound. (laughs) Um, And you know, marches his his bloody way to Hins Haven, um, a vacation cabin where Chris, played by Dana Kimmel, has arrived to spend the weekend with some friends. Um, Jason hides out nearby in the barn and just starts, you know, picking people off if they get too close to him. This is where he gets his famous hockey mask, which he takes from one of the victims. 
Uh, and he murders all but Chris, who seemingly kills him with an axe to the head before she is taken away in an ambulance, now hysterical. Um, but that's not the end of the story, is it, Mr. Carpenter? It's really not. Um, you might think it would be the end of the story in the next film, um, which was the final chapter released <laughs> in 1984. Uh, in this movie, we see Jason, now played by Ted White, um, being found at the barn where Chris axed him in the head and taken to the morgue. But when he's there, um, he like wakes up and kills the coroner and then goes back to Crystal Lake where there's a group of friends who are renting a house uh, at the lake, um, unaware of the events that transpired in parts two and three. Um, and obviously they find themselves attacked and uh, picked off by Jason um, until he um, is going up against Trish and Tommy Jarvis, played by Kimberly Beck and Corey Feldman. Um, and while distracted by Trish, young Tommy attacks um, and kills Jason. And yes, that he is the one that actually kills Jason. So after the first four movies, three with Jason, he's finally dead. But of course, the final chapter was not actually the end and it did not stop the series because a year later in 1985, we had uh, a new beginning, the fifth and fourth where we flash forward in time a little bit and we now see an older Tommy Jarvis played by John Shepard um, who has been committed to a mental halfway house um, because of the post-traumatic stress he suffered from the events of Final Chapter. Um, there are a series of murders that are carried out at the house and everyone suspects that uh, Jason is back or that maybe it's Tommy. Um, as a result of his trauma, but it turns out that it's a paramedic by the name of Roy Burns, who has been using the Jason persona to get revenge for the death of his son, uh, that one of the patients at the halfway house killed um, a couple years before the events of the movie. So yes, another slasher series. Yes, Tommy is there, but Jason is not involved. But don't worry, folks, because in this <laughs> part, Jason Lives, released in 1986, uh, we find Tommy, now played by Tom Matthews, released from another institution and on his way to dig up Jason's grave in order to burn the body. But in doing so, he inadvertently resurrects Jason when lightning strikes an iron fence post that had been rammed into Jason's body. So he is now reanimated and undead um, and, uh, and played by C.J. Graham and Dan Bradley. <laughs> and so... What does it reanimated undead Jason do? Well, he goes back to Crystal Lake where he murders um, a new crop of summer camp workers. Tommy follows him and is able to defeat him by chaining him to a boulder at the bottom of Crystal Lake, though it's revealed that Jason is still alive down there. So um, in the seventh installment, The New Blood, released in 1988, we meet the telekinetic and the traumatized Tina Shepard, played by Lar Park Lincoln, who at Crystal Lake is attempting to resurrect her father um, who had drowned at the lake sometime earlier. She's unable to use her telekinesis to resurrect her father, but she does reawaken Jason, now played for the first time by uh, Kane Hodder. And we're not sure how long Jason has been under there since Tommy chained him under the lake, but like people have forgotten about him entirely. Um, but he is reawakened. He resurfaces. He goes on another killing rampage. Uh, he targets a group of teens at a birthday getaway. 
Then he goes up against Tina. They have a battle, um, Jason versus her psychic powers. Um, she goes all carry and she's able to imprison him at the bottom of Crystal Lake once again. But that is still not the end of Jason's story, is it, Miss Mel? It is not. Um, we jump. Now, what's interesting about this one, and it's something I think about a lot, is we we now know that Camp Crystal Lake is within boating distance of New York City. <laughs> um, where previously I had assumed it was somewhere in the Midwest or something like that. Um, Canonically, it's in New Jersey. Yeah, or upstate New York. Yeah. But, um, yeah. There's a lot um, with this movie and its geography. <laughs> yes. So um, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, which came out in 1989. Um, Jason, played by Hodder, is resurrected uh, and freed from the lake by a faulty electrical cable. Um, and he's he jumps on a, a like sort of like booze cruise um, type deal for a group of um, seniors who are taking like a fun group end of year trip question mark to from crystal lake new jersey to manhattan um i remember there being something weird about the main girl and like her uncle who's the principal or something like that do you remember that yeah she's staying him but yeah there's some weird dynamics she's afraid of water she is, and for some reason, she's going on this like trip. Yeah. Um, but Jason's also on the trip. Um, <laughs> he goes around um, killing the ship's crew, the majority of the students. They don't now. When Jason's taking Manhattan, it's like the last five minutes of the movie. Like they don't get there <laughs> until till right at the end. Um, and there's a chase between Jason and Rennie, played by Jensen Daggett, and Sean, played by Scott Reeves, into the sewers where he eventually meets his end via a sort of flow of toxic sewer waste that like melts his face. Yep. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. <clears throat> so we, we then go as, as you do to part nine, <clears throat> which is entitled Jason goes to hell the final Friday. Mm -hmm. Now, like previous installments, one, Hell does not appear until the last few seconds. Right. <laughs> Two, it was it would not be the final. No. <laughs> um, so both lies on both counts. Lies um, on but this came out in 1993. This is the first one I was alive for. Um, <laughs> and you as well, I think. Yeah. Um, the only Jason, one in the 90s. The only Friday the 13th from the 90s. Nice. And what if what if Friday the 13th to have representing the decade? Oh, the decade. Yeah. Um, Jason, once again played by Hotter, has been inexplicably resurrected, <laughs> uh, only to be killed by an FBI sting operation at Crystal Lake. Because in this AU, Crystal Lake is an FBI training ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, so his body is destroyed, but his spirit uh, possesses a local coroner, and he embarks on a rampage, occasionally jumping hosts as needed. Yeah. It is also revealed that Jason has a sister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knew? She didn't. Diana Kimball, 
played by Aaron Gray, as well as a niece, Jessica, played by Carrie Keegan. And he needs them to regain his original body, uh, which he eventually does before being stabbed by Jessica with a mystical dagger and dragged into hell. Uh, and we see a little nod to the one day eventually coming Freddy first Jason as um, Freddy's hand sort of comes up and yes does some grabbing grabs then grabs the mask and now you might be wondering how how could he possibly go to space when he's clearly been dragged to hell when he's clearly been dragged to hell well <laughs> we're that, here to tell you we're here to tell you folks um the original plan was not to send jason into space at all as miss mel mentions the end of jason goes to hell the final friday very clearly implies where the franchise is going next. And that's a crossover with Nightmare on Elm Street and resident baddie over there, Freddy Krueger. However, that project languished in development hell all throughout the mid and late 90s. And when- And beyond. (laughs) And beyond. And when the century and the millennium turned, they were nowhere closer to reaching production on that. And so- in order to essentially keep Jason in the minds of like public consciousness and pop culturally relevant, Sean Cunningham, uh, director of the original film and executive producer of the franchise, and Jim Isaacs, who was also a producer, realized they needed a placeholder film. And that placeholder film was Jason X. And what the hell were they going to do with Jason X? Well, they decided that they would develop a pitch uh, from writer, director, and actor Todd Farmer, who essentially came to them and said, you've done everything you could possibly do with Jason on Earth. So you have to send him off Earth. And they were like, great, let's do it. And that is why we have this strange movie, Jason X, in between... Jason Goes to Hell, and Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> now, what that does for the continuity, good Lord. Would not be resolved until, like, 2007. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess we just have to assume that Jason X takes place after Freddy vs. Jason. Yes, that was my understanding, because they, at the end of Freddy vs. Jason, there's, like, a little setup to... The beginning of of um jason x yeah so wow absolutely wild. so technically jason x is a or freddy vs jason is a prequel to jason x. yeah it's the 11th friday the 13th movie but like 10th sequentially mm-hmm. yeah god so there's that there's that it's wild i mean and and, and jason x will I would imagine will always be the end of Friday the 13th concert. Yeah, because it takes like <laughs> 20, 20, 24, 30 or something like the that. 24, like 40s or 50s, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's always how Jason's story is going to end. Um, bonkers. So yeah, so that was the pitch and they were like, great, cool, do it. And Farmer... Um, you know, they were like, actually, yeah, just write the treatment. So he writes the treatment. They're like, okay, write the screenplay. He writes the screenplay. There were some other writers in and out. And um, 
you know, this and that, but he is the sole credited screenwriter. Um, you had a note in here about Lewis Abernathy doing some uncredited mm-hmm. rewrites, actually, which I think is an interesting note because, well, do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Um, so Lewis Abernathy um, did uh, some uncredited, you know, ghostwriting you know, script doctoring of it uh, purposefully to mimic the meta humor of the Scream franchise, mm-hmm. um, which I think we see in one scene. Yes. And one scene in particular really stands out as like really nailing that. Um, that. That vibe, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's wild to think about, but like, This is like between Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X, the entire Scream trilogy came out. Like, that's what that's that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is worth thinking like what that changes with these things because, you know, Scream comes out, all of it comes out. It not only makes reference to Friday the 13th as part of its humor, but like, you know, really takes its entire format and you know that's what people are were interested in seeing at that point um was you know that sort of meta style um maybe not all you know i'm trying to think of other like not fewer few things are as self-aware as scream was but that's sort of like if you think of blair witch if you think of that if you think of like um like urban legends and that sort of thing like these were things that were like you know aware of the the concept of storytelling and scary storytelling and like what people expect um and what you know and people want to be in on the joke or you know that sort of thing right and even like i know what you did last summer Mm -hmm. doesn't have quite as much of the characters being self-aware but enough that like the movie itself is self-aware um, which the audience appreciates. And I think that's what they wanted or realized they needed to do with Jason X. But I don't I don't know that it succeeds in that. Mm-hmm. Um, like this movie is aware of itself, but it, I think it's also very earnest. Yes, yes. And it doesn't strike, a few things have struck the balance of earnestness and self-awareness that Scream just really like caught in a bottle. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't help that this cast is pretty abysmal on mm-hmm. on the whole. But um oh yeah. So so that was that's sort of the background of the movie. Um it was filmed relatively quickly over the spring of 2000 in Toronto with a mostly Canadian cast. Um the score was composed by Harry Manfredini, who did compose the scores for all the um, previous films in the series, except for Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, I I'm not crazy about the score. Um, it's weird to me that the Chichi Hahas only show up at like the very end when there's that like virtual reality Crystal Lake thing, right? Um, and it's like, come on, man, where was the rest of this? Yeah. This is so divorced from the rest of the series that you need something to tie it in yes. to make it, to remind us it takes place in the same universe. And I feel like that's an easy um, cue. Yeah. And they just sort of missed out on that. 
Um, but if you like the score, you can you can get it. It was um, it was released um, shortly after the movie came out. It was released in May of two thousand and two. Um, this is one of those movies where I do think it might warrant a quick walkthrough, or at least maybe mm-hmm. an outline of what Just happens. Explain like- what the fuck is going on. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to start us off with that? Yeah. So, um. As I said, we begin at the Crystal Lake Research Facility. (laughs) Don't know what they're researching. Don't know how long they've been there. Are they affiliated with the camp? I don't know. Is it beneath the lake? Is it like the name of the town? All of this is unclear. Oh my God, speaking of beneath the lake, there are no exterior shots in this whole movie. Yeah, I guess you're right because unless you count the spacewalk, but that's space. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Everything is inside. Everything is a set. I imagine that's partially because of, well, I don't know. I can't even say budget because they actually had a pretty big budget for this movie. They did have a big budget for this movie. It was like 11 million, right? Yeah, they had a big budget. So I don't know why they didn't. Um... It was like three times the budget for Jason Takes Manhattan, I think. Yeah, I think that, but you're right. There are no, <clears throat> there, there are no exterior shots because this research facility that we open on is like a cement, like, warehouse um and jason's sort of in this contraption that's like like kind of like the the hannibal lecter like transportation device that they put him in in silence of the lands um but he's there and this unnamed government we assume agency is using him to do um research on like flesh regeneration and like regrowing body parts yeah and that sort of thing yeah david cronenberg is there as the evil government scientist guy yes um and uh rowan lafontaine a a scientist nobody's ever had that name in history never i just want to point that out uh these names like when you said that it just like reminded me i like kind of thought about this earlier then all the names in this movie are like people being or like what i feel like middle schoolers would come up with if they would were name to, their characters or if they were like oh yeah like trying to make like star wars fan fiction like janessa zachary these are sci-fi names that sound awful and not natural yeah yeah like people like you like and i know like it it, who knows maybe i'll eat crow in 300 years when y'all are naming your kids like tron or something but you know it sounds like every time people try to do like sci-fi names like this like of like distant future earth it always feels like they like take a name that we have now and take like two letters out of it right or yeah and they're like that's the sci-fi name and that's what people are going to start doing which who knows maybe they will i don't know it bugs the shit out of me yes because it always sounds clunky it always sounds it always sounds like okay we're supposed to get the the future now like say what you want about george lucas but like the names he comes up with sound like actual names in star yeah yeah like i believe all those names are names yeah but not fucking fucking janessa yeah and and, and Rowan Kinsa. LaFontaine. Yeah, Rowan LaFontaine. So yeah, Rowan LaFontaine. <laughs> full name. She's a full name kind of gal. 
um, is a is a scientist who wants to um, preserve, puts him in cryo, wants to like put him in cryo because she thinks he's too dangerous. They're like trying to transport him, and they're like, "No, just get him out of here." Um, he obviously immediately, like actually before they even try and take him out, he's already like escaped his his shackles and and done a murder. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know he's like, which how did he like? Yeah, it's unclear. He's like chained up, and a guy like throws uh, like some like like kid who's guarding him like throws a like a blanket over his head so he doesn't have to look at him. And then when we come back and take the blanket off the figure who is in the space that Jason was previously occupying, it's the guard and not Jason. Uh, That's all you need to know. Michael Myers. Yeah. That's all you need to know about that. Um, So he goes on a a rampage trying to get out. He kills a bunch of people and he and Rowan LaFontaine um, end up in the cryo chamber. She is able to sort of best him and get him locked inside this like cryogenic thing that starts freezing him. But as it's happening, he stabs through the steel doors and um, gets her. And then that also releases like the cryo gas. So she is also frozen with him and the two of them remain frozen for the next 455 years. Good Lord. when they are found by a group of um, science, like what are the science students, scientists? I, I can't. I I almost thought they're. I get they're kind of like graduate students. I think. Yeah, yeah. They're they're like on a on a trip in space to Earth because we no longer live on Earth because it's like polluted and we live on Earth too, and on space stations. But they're here. They're poking around. They find Jason. Uh, who they believe to be dead, and then they find um, Rowan LaFontaine, who they <laughs> believe they can revive. Like, there's signs that she she might still be alive. So they bring them both on their ship, the Grendel. The Grendel. You know. And, um, you know, they put him in the morgue because they, they don't think he's, a, he's alive, and they take her to their, like, medic area to um, use nanotechnology to heal her, um and who are some of the characters that we meet on this on this ship so it's fairly large and then it starts getting trimmed down but the group is being led by uh professor low um and there's a number of students assisting him we have janessa um who is sort of like sultry and makes a lot of innuendos janessa um there's Kinsa and Stony, who are a couple, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Waylander, who I'm not really sure where he fits into the group. He's kind of like a prankster, he makes heroic sacrifice later. Um there's Sun, they call him Sun, right? Scenarion, mm-hmm. whatever um who's like the nerdy one and he's like um always tweaking um the android that is also with the group her name is kane 14 um again like it's like like, what would a droid be named and whatever um and 
there's also a group of um like mercenaries on the ship as well i guess for protection yeah there's like soldiers or something like soldiers i don't really know why um but they are led by sergeant brodsky and there's a number of privates um in that in the outfit and then there's like the I don't know if she's like the head graduate student, but her name is Adrian, and she's very excited um, to start experimenting on the specimens that the group brings back onto the ship, meaning uh, Rowan and, and Jason and Rowan LaFontaine is... Mm-hmm is unfrozen and she's like oh my god what's going on and they're like oh my god it's 400 years later and she's like chill um that's fine this is fine it's fine this is fine um it literally i felt like the conversation was like so the world is dead you good and she's like yeah can i put some clothes on And so as Rowan is sort of, you know, being like, I guess, introduced to the fact that she now is alive in a completely different version of reality, Adrian um, starts performing an autopsy on the remains of Jason's body. But um, it turns out because of Jason's regenerative abilities, as he unfreezes he also comes back to life like he's not dead as we know he's the undead Mm -hmm. jason and then he proceeds to grab adrian's head and stick it in a vat of liquid nitrogen and then smash it uh on the counter and one of like the coolest kills in the entire franchise And while all that's going on, we're sort of understanding the dynamics of everybody else on the ship. Kinsa and Stoney are fucking. Uh, Janessa is fucking Professor Lowe, actually, um, to get a better grade on her midterm. And it's implied that they have like a pre-existing dynamic or relationship for this kind of thing. Um, they, They do that thing that like early 2000s movies did where like, Pinky stuff is always played for laughs. And like sex is just sort of like grinding and usually like some titties. Yeah. <laughs> some titties. There's a fair amount of titties in this movie. There are, which is funny because I saw <clears throat> the director was actually anti the use of nudity in the camp hologram scene because he thought it was nudity for nudity's sake. And I was like, this is the one time in the movie where it makes sense. Yes, because it's supposed to be over the teeth. Whatever. Oh my God, and there's the thing, oh, and then we also learn that KM-14, the android, wants to, I guess, feel more real, as they keep Mm -hmm. saying, or feel more like the humans that she's assisting. And a part of that is wanting nips on her synthetic breasts (laughs) yeah talk about for for nudity's sake there's a ridiculous scene where his son's like trying to affix like prosthetic nips to the prosthetic (laughs) because she's like but janessa has them (laughs) i was like what does it matter (laughs) 
Um, and then we also kind of learn that Professor Lowe is kind of skeevy and gross um, because he um, is looking to make a quick buck and he's maybe going to like expo exploit Rowan LaFontaine um, because she is like, you know, 400 years old, essentially. And I guess that's like vaguely cool in <laughs> this version, this new version of reality in the future. How much would you pay for a 400 year old woman? Yeah, yeah. And he also is maybe going to sell Jason to this like strange private collector person who seems to know a lot about a serial killer that's been dead for 400 years. Um, and so we learn all of this and then Jason um, starts to go on his rampage and he begins by, um, I think, killing Stoney, right? While he and Kinsa are having sex? Yes, after he kills, obviously he does the shooting thing and then he goes, because he picks up a, a, a very machete looking surgical yeah. ball, but like a futuristic looking machete, um, <clears throat> and stabs Stoney um, and then takes off again. For some reason, he he kills Stony and leaves Kinsa and yeah, like, goes away. <laughs> Kinsa was weird, um, because she finds everybody else essentially like on the bridge or in the mess hall or something. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and she's like, I don't Jason. And yeah, so she comes out like naked and covered in blood. Yeah, and they're like, the fuck. Yeah. Um, so now everybody knows, and as a result, this, like, military detachment that is here for some reason goes to to take care of Jason and bring him down. Um, and it, it's actually, like, a fairly long sequence where we just watch mm -hmm. the soldiers go after him in, like, the cargo bay, I think. Yes. And that is another thing with this movie is I think it goes on in certain parts for way too long. Mm hmm And this was one of them. Yeah. Um, but as you might imagine, he kills all of the soldiers slowly but surely. Um, and so an emer they send out an emergency signal or something to another ship because in like the attacks, there's been damage or they or they need more help or something from um, another ship called the Solaris. The, the nods and the whatever to other science fiction are very mm -hmm. blatant in this movie. Um, and, but Jason, um, like when they get there, Jason kills the pilot. So they crash into the other ship and I guess like kill everybody there. Uh, <laughs> and now they're like, oh my God, what do we do? <laughs> there was apparently an exchange on Twitter about how many people died because people are like, does that count for Jason's pie count for this? And how many people was it? And I think at some convention, <clears throat> I don't know if it was the director or one of the writers or who it was said like, oh, it was like 20,000 people got killed. And then on Twitter, they went and said, like, actually, it was 19,755. So, yeah, we don't talk a lot about there's a lot that we don't talk about in this movie. One of them is how like that entire like city just gets like decimated and decimated <laughs> we everyone we just move on immediately um yeah so that happens and then it's like oh fuck what are we gonna do so what do they decide to do so 
<coughs> sorry, it's in my throat. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so now they, they, there's like this back and forth, like they send out a distress call Mm-hmm. And there's like this back and forth with like, um, well, I guess the back and forth comes later with um, the the nearest ship and about the timing and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. So, <clears throat> oh, we skipped the part where he goes into the holographic game, I think. Oh, you're right. My bad. Yeah. So prior to him killing all the soldiers, um, Azriel. What is his name? Azrael Ben Ruby, a student. He's one of the students, yeah. Um, and yes, and Private Dallas. It was him, right? Or playing the game? Yeah, yeah. Private Dallas, who's played by the writer of the film, Todd Farmer. Yes. They're playing a virtual reality, like um, like uh Overwatch type game. And I have a problem with the mechanics of this. <laughs> they're in they're in there playing. This is why I knew you. <laughs> so but this is so this is it, right? So we see them we see them playing, right? But it's obviously their avatars of 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 themselves that are playing. They're sitting down like holding controllers. Even though they're not yeah. big blue cat people. <laughs> yes. Jason walks in. And sees their avatars and interacts with them. Yes. <laughs> and is like able making right now, you guys. And he's able to to do things in the game, like the game that they're playing registers him as a player, and yeah. they think he's part of the game. And then obviously he's not. But it's what in what universe is that? How virtual? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe four and a, four point five centuries from now, maybe. You have like four, like 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 um, like four D. Like I I have no. It it bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> Cause it's like I don't like I don't okay. Like if you're in the room, if it's in the room and it's happening and it can physically interact with things, why are you not up and playing? Why are you playing as like a little like with a controller like it's a PlayStation? Like I I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I mean, a no. lot of this movie doesn't make sense, but that no. in particular. That real- seems like something simple that, that like we almost have the technology for though. So it's like, why is this so incorrect? But anyway, <laughs> Jason kills their avatars because apparently he's able to play the game even though he's not wearing like any sort of suit or doesn't have a controller or anything. Right. Um. So they log out of the game because they're like, oh shit, like he killed us, that's annoying. And they're like, oh my god, he's still here. What? Like, and they try and like, you know, give commands to the computer to tell it to shut down. And he ends up killing them both. Um, and uh he kills them both, right? Yeah, I think so. Pretty yeah, sure. He kills I just I remember he kills Azrael and then um he he because he breaks his back and then um he gets Dallas as well. Yeah. Um so that happens before um i think the soldier attack happens yeah i think you're right yeah um so anyway so after killing twenty thousand people on the solaris um (laughs) jason heads into the um uh the bridge where lo is like um 
trying to talk to people, like trying to, you know, he's like very much like, I'm in control of the situation, it's gonna be okay, that type of thing. And Jason picks up his machete, which we saw earlier. Somebody was like fucking around with it and it kind of got taken around the 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 ship because I think they were gonna try and sell it as part of the collection or something. And he's like, oh yeah, guys, it's cool. He just wanted his machete, but he obviously um cuts Lowe's head off with his his machete. He's 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 tossed aside his um futuristic machete for the old old reliable. Um, so then while that's going on, the rest of the crew trying to figure out something to do, um, you know, the, the ship's kind of really fucked up. It can't really go anywhere. So Sun upgrades KM, not with nips, but with, um, <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. That could have been part of it. Maybe. But with, we got um, four. Yeah. She finally got her nips. But she gets a bunch of guns and I guess fighting abilities and stuff. That's another thing about this world that really, and I was actually thinking about this as a similar topic when I was watching the finale of His Dark Materials is, Ooh. it's good, is why guns? Like the year is 20, 24, 50. Why are we still using guns? <laughs> the same and it, they look like futuristic and stupid. But yeah. it's, like, it's just a gun. Yeah, this is a gun. Like, it, it reminds it's like how all of them are dressed in early 2000s fashion, even though it's it's like they were all like like I don't know, like got the costumes from the set of Buffy or something. Like I don't yeah. know. Like I was like, what is like why are there so many crop tops in 2455? Yeah. So um, basically what they're going to try and do, though, is detach their little ship, like this little escape ship type deal from the rest of the ship is what they're going for while um, preparing. And this guy, Crutch, who like what is he? He's like the engineer. Yeah, Crutch. He's the he's I think he's the engineer. He's like the engineer that we've seen very little of up until this point. But now he's like, okay, like I'm going to figure out how to. You know we're gonna we're gonna detach the the little escape pod and get out of here and leave him on the ship that's like you know, falling chill. apart. Yeah. Um. But Kinsa, who's like still feeling some kind of way, <laughs> like has a panic and tries to escape by herself. Like she runs into the <laughs> into the escape pod, shuts the door behind her, won't let anyone in with her. Um, and tries to blast off into space, but doesn't realize that the fuel line of the escape pod is still attached to the main ship, and she just crashes and immediately explodes and dies. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the rest of the crew is now very much trapped on board with Jason. There's no escape pod left. Um, and... <laughs> Jason is, you know, confronting them. He's, he's, you know, he's got them cornered. This is it. And then Sun comes around the corner and says, hey, Slappy. Um, <laughs> and uh, what, what does he have in store for Jason? So he has the new and improved mega upgraded KM-14. Um, he, he, like, uploaded the Terminator chip or something into her. She's doing this whole sort of like trinity from the matrix vibe situation which obviously would have been like huge in the public consciousness so like 
I think that's clearly what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And um, also upgraded her with some more quippy one-liners. And so she starts like fucking up Jason, Matrix style, Terminator style, whatever. They do battle. Um, and she actually gets the upper hand. Um, she is able to like essentially sort of like dismember and um decapitate him to the point where um it appears he's finally dead or at least in enough pieces that he's no longer a physical threat and they're like yeah fuck yeah um okay let's go do the next part of the escape plan which like what is the escape plan now it's not really clear um they all go off to do that which is dumb of them because as we see where Jason, the remains of Jason's body have landed in the lab because he was blasted through the wall Hmm. and in the lab, which is in disarray, the nanobot things, um, which we see earlier in the film that help wake up Rowan and they heal what's his face's arm because he gets his arm cut off. Um, the nanobots swarm Jason's remains and start to reassemble him into something bigger and more dangerous. Um, a cyborg version of Jason that um, for the last 20 years since the film came out, the fans have affectionately dubbed Uber Jason. Mm-hmm. And um so Uber Jason finds the survivors. I don't remember what they're doing trying to escape. They're so like they, they send out a distress signal and they have a ship that like the nearest ship shows up and is like, okay, we'll we can we'll like attach to you. Yeah, we can that. like dock on your ship and you can get across to us. Yeah. Before your okay. ship blows up. So the ship has come to rescue them. And they're like docking and preparing for the evacuation. And Uber Jason finds them. He goes back in for round two with um, KM-14. He gets the upper hand this time and he knocks her head off. (laughs) Like as if he were swatting a fly. Um, But she's an android, as you'll remember. So it's not like she's dead. She can still talk. She still is, like, functioning. It's all very sort of, like, alien, aliens, you know, Mm -hmm. bishop callback. And son, because he's in love with her, he grabs her head. um, And they're trying to flee. This is when um, Janessa dies? Yes. So... (laughs) I'm just gonna I'm gonna go over this now. It was gonna be my thing for <laughs> one good scare, and not because I found it scary, but because I the idea of it. I need to discuss. Okay. Yes, take us there. <laughs> so they're in the they're in they're like almost to the to the other ship, and somehow a hole gets like blown in the wall, um, and it's space. So obviously that's a problem. And, you know, everything starts getting sucked, you know, to, to into the vacuum of space. And Rowan LaFontaine and Sun are like, they've kind of got a hold on something, so they're good. And Janessa's struggling. Like, Janessa's, like, gripping, like, the ground. She's trying to crawl to where they are, grabbing onto, like, 
something more sturdy and like she's grabbing onto these grates that are one of them flies off and gets pinned to the wall right where the hole is mm -hmm. now it's important to note that the hole <laughs> is like <laughs> the size of my fist right it is not very large <laughs> no not at all it's not and that's going to be important in a second so She's trying, they try to grab her, you know, they reach and reach and reach, <clears throat> ultimately doesn't happen. She lets go, slips, what have you. And we cut to a shot that suggests that she has been sucked through the grate and out the hole that is the size of my fist. <laughs> now, I don't know, obviously I've never been to space. I don't know how powerful like the vacuum forces are in this situation. But taking the internal logic of the grate did not get like sucked through the tiny hole. Like, you know, the grate is there. It's just get pinned to the hole. Somehow she gets, you know, her entire, let's assume a five, seven body gets sucked through this hole in the wall. That's like, again, like the size of my fist. It's a very small hole in the wall. Um, <laughs> You must just, remember that together. It's just mind-boggling <laughs> to me that she like like they're trying to say like I guess you know she she got compressed down so much and she right. got sucked out, but like that didn't happen for anything else. <laughs> like because the grate gets you know blown against it, and that's part of like the gore factors because you see like pieces of her her flesh right. hanging on the. The grate, which is against the the hole, so that just didn't make sense for me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't track. And I don't know. Maybe the hole was supposed to be bigger, and they just did a really bad job of the force perspective. I don't know. Maybe. I I, I mean, and the... to me, it was a very tiny hole in the wall. It was not yeah. that big. Yeah. Well, and the and the the special effects in this movie have not aged well. No in any way so i think that's a factor too um but yeah thus ends janessa sucked through a fist-sized hole <laughs> fist-sized hole in the wall it pieces through a grate into space into space and we go on death in the movie and it's not even like jason related no it's so it's something and and somehow we move on <laughs> Somehow we move on. Um, Waylander kills himself at one point to blow up more parts of the ship and keep Jason distracted, um, which lets um, them get across to the new sh ship. But they can't detach because there's like a malfunction. Or they can't get through the last door because something's malfunctioning. And so someone needs to do a spacewalk to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, oh, oh, and it's uh, it's around this point that we find out Sergeant Brodsky is still alive, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. He like stumbles back into frame, um, much in the way of friend number three, and <sighs> is like, okay, I'll go out there. And they're like, okay, well, while you're fixing the door in space, we need to keep uber jason busy how are we going to do that and then son's like i know the holographic station he's oh, yeah. about to walk right into it but what do we do with it and then rowan lafontaine is like crystal lake 1980 
And so they recreate that in the holographic um, dock station area. And it's this version of Crystal Lake with two um, young women there who take their tops off (laughs) and crawl in some sleeping bags. And... (laughs) And you're like, we want to have premarital sex. Yeah, we love premarital sex. Um, and then in like a premonition of um the famous opening kill from the remake, um, Jason murders them in their sleeping bags by just like smacking them into each other. <laughs> and they like kind of make noise because you know they're yeah. like holograms or whatever, they're like, oh, ow. Yeah. And then they're like, and then like our heroes are like making these comments like, wow, he moved through that quickly. What do we do? And it's like, well, you cre- you created you can make more. Make more. Yeah. Like, what did you think? He just like he killed a, a space station full of 20,000 people. You think two holograms are gonna stop him? They're like they're like shocked. I always like, oh my god, we have to get out of here. We have no other choice. We have no other option. What are we gonna do? Um, but I guess this has been enough time for Brodsky to fix the door because he does. And Sun and Rowan LaFontaine and KM14's head are able to get onto the rescue ship. And to make sure that Jason doesn't follow, Brodsky um, fights him in like a final confrontation as the ship explodes. Um, and sort of like tackles him in space. To get him, away <laughs> that was really away. funny. Keep him away from the rescue ship. <laughs> like rooms. <laughs> that was pretty funny. It was. It's such a dumb, like last minute, like tense moment that didn't need to happen. They're like, "Oh my god, he's coming right towards us!" Oh, don't worry, Brodsky. Don't worry, Brodsky's still out there, <laughs> flying into frame. <laughs> he flies into frame. He tackles Jason. Um, and it turns out we're really close to Earth 2 because um, Brodsky with Jason in tow then falls um, into Earth 2's orbit and they begin to burn up on re-entry into mm-hmm. the planet as our survivors sort of safely um, go away in the rescue ship, I guess. And um, then we cut to two horny teenage this is a very horny movie um Mm -hmm. we see two more horny teenagers um near a lake on earth two and they see what they think is a falling star uh crashing into earth two but what we know is the blazing now dead brodsky and presumably now dead uber jason um and the last thing we see is jason's mass sinking to the bottom of a new lake on a new earth and Mm -hmm. that ends jason x and presumably the chronological story of jason Voorhees. yes so that's what we're working with so that's what we're working with and we were working with it with a number of characters we've alluded to a little bit um let's briefly touch on them in the roll call shall we Mm Lexa Doig as Rowan LaFontaine. Rowan LaFontaine. Final girl. 
Yeah. Um, to me, I feel like she's playing this movie really seriously, and that's a mistake. those are my thoughts I don't care for the performance and I don't care for the character okay (laughs) yeah yeah. um then we have Lisa Ryder as Cam 14 I enjoyed her she was silly and dumb she is silly and dumb um I love that she wants nibbles. I love that <laughs> she becomes the Terminator. Like, yeah, she's she's probably she's probably my favorite character. Yeah, um, she's also like a walking encyclopedia because she's an android. Mm-hmm. And so this time, I when I was watching it, I was like, well, why do we even need Rowan? Like, why does a like a present day, so to speak, character have to come into the future to explain Jason because right. she can explain Jason. That random guy knows all about Jason. We don't need her. Yeah. It's, it's a weird choice when I like actually thought about it. Um, but anyway, then we've got Chuck Campbell as son, Sunarian Peyton. He's kind of weird. I mean, whatever. I don't really care about him. He's like an accessory to to KM. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Potts as Professor Brandon Lowe. Creep. Like creep. Creep. Yeah. He's like. He also might have been playing it a little too seriously though at times. I do think he. I agree. Um. He's like the lesser version of like the principal from Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. And like the gross therapist from New Blood. Like we've seen this character before, but it's not as good. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you're right. Like he's he's not like playing it like a character actor. He's playing it seriously. It's like, what are you doing? This is my moment. This is the moment. Um then we have Peter Mensa as Sergeant Elijah Brodsky. He's fine. He's been in a lot of things like this and a lot of kind of goofy, um, high concept movies. So yeah, I think he's used to it. He's also playing it seriously, but I feel like it's fine. Yeah. Um, I feel like that character is basically the Lawrence Fishburne character from Event Horizon. Right. Yeah. Um, I assume that was the nod. I don't know for sure. Um, then we have Melissa Aid as Janessa Zachary. Janessa. <laughs> I honestly like in my mind, Janessa and Kinsella, like a lot of those people overlapped. I mean, don't tell Twitter that because I discovered that there is a um hashtag justice for Janessa out there. <laughs> amongst fans of this justice for what i think her like horrible space hole great death they don't feel she deserved (laughs) so justice for janessa i guess okay um we've got melody johnson as kinsa cooper coward yeah yeah she didn't really have much to do yeah she alerts the she alerts everybody that Jason's 
Yeah, but not like on purpose, like by virtue of yeah. running out covered in blood. They're like, what's going on? Right. There also is like the weird juxtaposition, like the scene where Jason's being like autopsied upon is intercut with her sex scene with Stoney. And when she like climaxes is when Jason sits up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, did her orgasm bring him back to life? Something to discuss. Yeah. And he has to kill the horny teenagers. Maybe. Um, Philip Williams as Trevor Crutch Crutchfield. Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty no smoky character. I don't. Derwin Jordan as Waylander. A reference to Alien, I assume. Yes. Yeah, there was a few uh, things in here that were purposeful. Um, uh, yeah. References. Um, Dove Tiefenbach as Azriel Ben Ruby. He was annoying. He was annoying. He's the arm chop guy, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, my arm. And then they put his arm back. And they're like, oh, you forgot your arm, you idiot. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and then finally, in terms of the main cast, we have Kane Hodder, who in the credits we see receives an and as Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees in his fourth and final time in the role. Um nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's always he's always fun. Yeah, yeah. And then just very quickly, we also have Christy Angus as Adrian Thomas, Dylan Burke as Private Briggs, Amanda Bruegel, who has had a decently successful career as Private Gecko, Yanni Gelman as Stoney, Todd Farmer as Private Dallas, Thomas Siniak as Private Sven, Steve Lucesco as Private Condor, David Cronenberg as Dr. Aloysius Wimmer. <laughs> he apparently said he would only be in the movie if he could be killed by Jason. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I also think, I was like, why did you waste Cronenberg there? You should have had him play Professor Lowe. I know. Who also got killed by Jason. Yeah. But whatever. Um, then Robert A. Silverman as Dieter Perez, the like weird dealer guy who's like laying down when yeah, he's like taking a call from his bed or something. Yeah. Um, Marcus Perillo as Sergeant Marcus, Boyd Banks as Louis Fat Lou Goddard, and Jeff Geddes as Private Johnson. Yeah, great job, guys. Great job, all. Um any fun production facts we haven't gotten to yet that we would like to touch on in terms of like the making of the movie? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, in terms of making of the movie, um, this was actually the first film in the fan franchise to use digital effects for gore in addition to practical, which is something you touched on about why they suck so bad. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one reason. Um, Betsy Palmer, who played Pamela Voorhees, nearly reprised her role uh, in this yeah. film because, yes, she happened to be in Toronto at the time. And didn't they want to put her in the hologram scene? Yes, they yeah. they they were going to do it in the hologram scene, but they couldn't, um, like, agree on whatever it was contractually. And she obviously didn't end up being in it, but she almost was, which would have been fun. Yeah. Um, 
In Stoney's death scene, actress Melody Johnson's reaction was real because she was not told that they were going to like spray her with the <laughs> blood. Um, and so that's the take that they ended up using was the first one where they sprayed her without telling her. Um, yes. And this isn't a production note, but it's just worth noting that at 28 kills plus 20,000, <laughs> even without the 20,000, this is Jason's highest body count. But when you factor in the 20,000, it's just rockets. I mean, that makes sense because you've got the you've got the research facility kills. You have all the military guys. Yeah. yeah he kills a lot of people. it's a huge cast it's a huge cast um it's it's too big there's too many characters yeah um but in terms of you know production notes that's that's what i have there kind of <laughs> that's good all right well let's talk a little bit about how the film was received and whatnot upon its release um so the film initially came, came out in November 2001 in Spain, actually. That's where it premiered. Um, and then it didn't open in the U.S. for like another six months. Um, it opened on April 26, 2002. Um, I wasn't really able to find out why there was such a long delay. I, I don't know if you came across about it. it. I saw something about it and then I didn't read it. Mm. So I guess there's a reason. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, when it finally opened, it made 6.6 .6 million over opening weekend and came in third at the box office behind the Scorpion King, <laughs> <laughs> which was in its second week, and Changing Lanes, which was in its third week. So it was beaten by movies that had already come out, which is not a good sign. Yeah. Um the total domestic gross for Jason X ended up being 13.1 million and its international was 3.8 for a combined 16.9 million against its $11 million budget for about a $5.9 million profit, which makes it the worst performing film in the series in terms of box office gross. However. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about the however? Sure. So um, it performed so well on home video, DVD, and now Blu-ray releases that it is actually factoring that in the best performing film in terms of getting back its budget. Um, horrible box office, but excellent in the second life of home, of home video to the point where it's the, the most successful film in the franchise. <laughs> Bonkers. Bonkers um so hey yeah just because you tank at the box office i mean it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're dead in the water find second life elsewhere um but tank it did there were some positive reviews um not a lot but the ones that were said the script was witty the direction was smart and the cast of largely unfamiliar and unknown actors um did a good job i don't know about hmm uh, um, most of the reviews were negative uh, they panned the wooden dialogue the repetitive storyline the outlandish nature of the story in general uh, Roger Ebert actually quoted one of the lines from the film in his review he gave the movie half a star mm -hmm. he said this sucks on so many levels yes. the uh, famous last words of Janessa <laughs> 
And currently, Jason X has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 19%, a Metacritic score of 25 out of 100, an IMDb rating of 4.4, and a Letterboxd score of 2.2 out of 5. How does that sound to you? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is always an interesting score to me because, you know, different people take it different ways in terms of like, is it saying you're good? Is it like, I've heard people say like the Rotten Tomato score says, um, you know, you score it, you know, in such a way that, you know, should people go see this film versus, you know, do I think this is a good movie? Um, yeah, that's but, actually how their algorithm works, but. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think the Rotten Tomato score should be much higher. <laughs> <laughs> but, um. You know, I'm surprised it's as high as it is for Metacritic, which is pretty good at like aggregating the overall um, feelings about a movie. I'm surprised it's 25 and not like almost two, six. Um, <laughs> the half star, I would just be curious to understand why Ebert gave it 0. 0.5. Like, why even do 0.5? Are you giving them credit for just being a movie? Like, Probably. It's like, hey, they made it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously you have to come at this movie with with fun in your heart. <laughs> and, um be know what you're about to watch. And that being, you know, with that being said though, I think the movie also needs to be more aware of how people are you know, don't be so earnest in, in, in some of the acting choices, in some of the directional choices even. Um, yeah. But that's just my two cents. That's a good two cents. Um, and I think fun is the key word here, um, particularly as we look at our next segment, which is analysis of the film or its themes or what's going on there. And you had a really great note for analysis. <laughs> which was it's just fun yeah <laughs> i don't think it's worth getting uh getting too deep because I, I really don't think there's too much there to peel back um i think jason x is worth talking about in terms of like its place in the larger like landscape of slashers and horror mm -hmm. but not as like an individual film um yeah if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, it was one of those franchises that it sent its monster into space and that like ruined a number of horror franchises. Um, well, and especially thinking about it now in a post prey world, like where something like this is entirely possible with the right sort of um, framing, the right director, better writing better casting like there are ways to do an absolutely bonkers sounding version of an existing franchise um in a way that you know does something of benefit to to the overall franchise you know what i mean yeah there yeah definitely and i think like I think they were slowly learning that lesson and Scream was helping them learn it, but they didn't get it quite right. Yeah. Like Jason X was a misstep in a number of ways. Um, 
where like I, you know, I feel like, you know, we we talked about in the last Friday the 13th special how people went to see Jason goes to hell and they were like, where is Jason? Um, because of all the body switching. And mm. then they, you know, obviously make him front and center in this movie. And they're just like, yeah, just that's what they want, and just put him into space and and whatever. But then this movie bombs too. And it's like they still quite weren't understanding what people really wanted from their horror franchises in like a post-scream world. Right. And they get there ish i think with freddy versus jason finally um yeah but it, it takes them god it takes them a while um <laughs> <laughs> and so and so yeah and i think that's really like i think that's what makes jason x interesting to look at just because of like its place not because of itself as a as a movie yeah um, but you know we can't deny that uh it has left its mark on pop culture so um Let's jump to legacy, legacy. What is a legacy? And then quickly circle back. Um, there has been a bit of a retrospect, retrospective relook at Jason X in the last um, 20 years. There are some fans that uh, really defend Jason X for being willing to poke fun at itself um, and highlight the creative kills in the movie, particularly Adrian's death, um, the liquid nitrogen frozen head. That was actually tested on Mythbusters mm-hmm. um, in episode 129 that aired um, in November 4th, 2009. Uh, they busted that particular kill method, but it does remain one of the uh, favorites um, of the franchise among horror fans. There was some tie-in media, including a 2005 comic book, uh, the Jason X special by Brian Polito, um, it was meant to be sort of a sequel. It sees Jason uh, once more reconstructed by the nanobots. Um, and he ends up on a, a like a pleasure barge in space and he like kills everybody there. Nice, nice. Um, and then that had its own sequel in 2006, uh, a comic book, Friday the 13th, Jason versus Jason X by Mike Wolfer, where the nanites from the Grendel build a second Jason from his leftover remains. And that Jason resembles the original Jason. And he goes to that pleasure ship and fights Uber Jason. As you do. Yeah. So if you're interested in more of Uber Jason, look out those, look out for those. Um, Uber Jason was meant to be a, uh, an add-on in the Friday the 13th game from 2017. But Victor Miller, who we have talked about in past episodes, the screenwriter of the original film, um, served a lawsuit regarding residual profits from the franchise and all tie-in media that he felt he was owed due to his own creative rights. So the release of new characters for the game um, was halted. And as of now, you can't play as um, Uber Jason in the game. But maybe one day. And then the film was released on VHS and DVD on October 8th, 2002, and on Blu-ray in 2013 and 2020 as part of the Friday the 13th Complete Collection and Friday the 13th Deluxe Collection, respectively. I've got the deluxe one. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it for Legacy. Ms. Mo, you mentioned your one good scare earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was Janessa's death. Uh, yeah. For myself, I, I guess it's kind of creepy in the beginning when he's like staring at the guard and then we find out he kills and switches places at the guard. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was like fun in that like it was like clearly like a reference to like Silence of the Lambs and other things, but just in a much more nonsensical way. Yes. So I'll go with that. And then for our final segment, uh, the view from the closet. Do you have anything to take a stab at? It's tough because this is such a horny movie and it's horny in like the, how like it's a bunch of straight people being horny. The closest thing I can think of is when uh, Rowan LaFontaine first sees um, KM and she's like, oh, like, and she goes up to like touch her and she's like, um, you know, like, oh, she looks so rude. Like she seems to be very taken with the, <laughs> with the uh the um uh cyborg lady at first um but um also you know we can just assume rowan rowan lafontaine is is queer since she shows no interest in it (laughs) so you know what that means in in media when movie world when a woman doesn't you know (laughs) want to immediately have sex with with every man um yeah yeah i also kind of thought of km14 i was like well she's like a whatever a robot she could probably be with anyone yeah she'd probably be with anyone right she's presenting as female but maybe that's Mm -hmm. like she's she's a robot she's not human you know yeah whatever so maybe we assign a uh an alphabet identity to km that's all we got for that one that's all we got for that yeah well i think we're almost ready to take it home Mm -hmm. um we just need to do our closing question Mm -hmm. tonight that comes from you miss mill sure does so my question is like going back to like what we talked about with the concept of how they were first kind of you know shooting the shit with this with this movie um if you had to do a version of jason in x insert thing what would you what would you do Hmm. (laughs) so i don't know (laughs) have you seen like there was that um, slasher movie based on the Grinch that came out last month. And no, <laughs> there's a movie called the mean one. Oh my God. And there's another one, I think by the same team. I'm not sure if it's the same team though, coming out soon. Um, that's like Winnie the Pooh slasher. Yes, I do. I do know about the Winnie the Pooh slasher one. So that's making me think like Jason in Disney world. <laughs> No, <laughs> that would be pretty fun. <laughs> is gonna be my answer. That's good. <laughs> Could call it Jason D. <laughs> Jason D. How about yourself? Where are you gonna where are you gonna throw him? 
Well, it's funny because you did a, a like a different swing than what I was thinking in my brain when I thought of the question, but I, I love your version of it. I would love to see Jason in Disney World. Um, but I was thinking like what, you know, kind of along the lines of, um, you know, like doing like Jason in like, like the Wild West, like in a gold rush town or something, <laughs> like somehow get him out there in like 1899. Oh my God. They're prospecting. Prospecting. Prospector Jason. <laughs> yeah. Prospector Jason. That could be fun. I'd be into it. He's got like a little hat on. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little hat. He obviously, you know, he has to trade machete for like a like a pickaxe or something for a while. Yeah, I'd be into it. Yeah. He wears a cowboy bandana mask instead of his uh so you still only see his eyes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, unless there's anything pressing we haven't touched on, and I don't think there is, this concludes our 10th Friday the 13th special, our 106th episode, and our discussion on Jason X. Mm-hmm. Now, the next Friday the 13th is actually October of this year. Um, so when that rolls around, we will be covering uh, the 11th movie in the franchise uh, and the crossover, Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, but before then, uh, we've got a lot of other things to get to. We've got a lot of other things to talk about. If you want to share your thoughts about Jason X with us, we would love to hear them. Uh, and there's a couple ways you could do that. Miss Mel, would you please share how? Sure, you can give us an email at splattershatter666 at gmail. No, 669. I fucked it up. Nine. Ignore that. You didn't hear that. It's splattershatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splattershatter666 uh, minus all the vowels in that handle. Um, <clears throat> you can send us an ask on Tumblr. A friend of the pod, uh, Miss Colleen, will be happy to to chat with you on tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com mm-hmm. uh, you can s- find us on instagram at splatterchatter666 and i believe we have a new url for the blog we do the domain name has changed slightly we are now splatterchatterpodcast.com yay so yay. you can go on there leave comments on our posts that sort of thing that sort of thing and we would love to hear from you um we hope your 2023 has started off well uh we hope um it's a good year for horror i think it's going to be i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool stuff coming i mean up. starting with megan we're starting with megan like we're starting strong last year we, we started with scream this year we're starting with megan we're great really rocking and rolling you guys um and so through all of that make sure you keep up the creep and for now we're gonna say au revoir Adios and Dasvidaniya.